Hi there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. Happy Hanukkah, if you're a fellow uh, Jewish tribesman. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again. Thanks for joining us today. Great to have you with us. And right before we dive into today's episode, quick reminder and a spotlight on one of our sponsors. You might remember we've mentioned them here before. Humble Bunny, web design and online marketing company based in Tokyo. Uh, but of course, due to the nature of their business, they work with companies all over the world. Um, their specialty, however, is in Japanese brands uh, marketing overseas or with overseas brands that want to market into Japan. And I've happened to wander onto the website today, checked out some of their portfolio samples, and it looks like they've recently completely redone uh, Appa Hotels' English website. Now, if you've been to Japan at all, you're probably familiar with Appa Hotels. They've got 140 uh, properties all over the country, 40 different regions, and they're pretty well known far and wide as one of the best business hotel networks in the country. They're also a bit controversial in that the owner of the chain is a bit of an old school nationalist. But all of that aside, Humble Bunny completely redesigned their uh, hotel's online English presence from the ground up. They've rebranded them. They've done their online marketing or redone it. And of course, the visual design itself and the results are stunning. Definitely speak for themselves. So I highly recommend you check it out on humblebunny.com. But as we've mentioned here before, they don't only do huge mega brands. They've got plenty of affordable solutions for small business as well. So again, highly recommend you hit them up if you're in the market for some uh, online marketing and web design goodness. So hit them up on inquisitive at humblebunny.com. Ask to speak directly with Nate. He's the head honcho. Tell them you heard about them on the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Definitely you won't regret this. Okay, so for today's episode, uh, which is another recording of a business call, we spoke to um, a couple from the U.S. and we talked mainly about business visas and more specifically on how to get a business manager visa via property investment here in Japan. Uh, we've spoken with Hiroshi Shimizu, our other sponsor, a while back and we'll link back to that episode as well. He explains uh, the whole procedure. We'll put in his contact details in this episode show notes too. But in particular, we're um, talking to this couple who are considering relocating to Japan and they would like to leverage their savings for the purpose of not only investing in property here for a whole bunch of reasons, which we've also discussed on the call, but also for securing themselves a visa to stay here on a longer term basis, if possible. So aside from the usual market fundamentals, the cash, investment loans, prices, yields, and so forth, we also took a deeper dive into the criteria that's required to turn your property investment in Japan into an actual business uh, which would then qualify for a business manager visa or a few of those. And also a little bit about where to invest and why with an emphasis on the unique environment that the uh, COVID pandemic has brought about. Uh, we've hit another peak in infection numbers in Japan today, by the way, 3,000 new daily cases, or to be exact, exactly 2,999 as of the uh, government's publication yesterday. So not a pretty picture, but as we've mentioned here on quite a few occasions, until this blows over or at least is scaled back, uh, which will hopefully happen in the next few months as vaccines become available, fingers crossed, but there is a silver lining, which is that certain locations and asset classes are far more affordable now than they were until about February or March this year. So we talk about this as well, the timing, locations, and property profiles that are the most attractive for the more opportunistic investors out there who are capitalizing on global events as they occur. And the current pandemic is definitely one of those times. So without further ado, let's tune into this business call with a U.S. investor couple who are also looking to relocate to Japan. 
and used our portfolio to secure a business manager visa or really an investor visa, if you want to call it that. So enjoy the call. As usual, their side of the recording is not as clear as mine. And this is probably a good time to thank Huey again, one of our favorite customers, for this beautiful microphone that I'm using. But yeah, I'm the one doing most of the talking in any case, uh, as our more regular listeners probably know by now. So do enjoy the conversation, and I shall see you again on the other side. Okay, so aside from um, a few um, macroeconomic and, and various questions that you pointed out in your email that I am happy to chat about, um, it's important for us to try and understand what um, customers or potential customers are looking for before they engage our services, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, so I've got a rough idea from what you've written in the email that you're looking for basically um, probably apartments and on the more affordable side, so under 100K or so, and um, that you also want the potential to perhaps use them in the future for uh, personal purposes. You mentioned a, a daughter or a family member who might be living in Japan or you might be living there. Uh, sorry, you mentioned a son, not a daughter. Yeah. Yep. あの、え、ダーラは、あの、ルビンの、キヨドシティ、キヨドシティ。いや。そう、え、やす、だ、ウィ、ビ、そう、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ、あ
we decided to do that to take take a bulk of our retirement investment out because it's such an emotional roller coaster. And and I'm I'm sort of hung up on the idea that it's not. I like the, I like the word the phrase real estate. It's actually a real. Object. That's how my dad brought me up as well, is you have bricks and mortar and you get a monthly paycheck from rent and whatever else happens is just icing on the cake, right? Yeah. So taking our money out of a managed account that we don't know, you know, we're paying fees, we don't know exactly what's right. happening, and then, and then putting it into something, you know, if you buy, if you buy the right, time, right place, you buy equity in a property right away, uh, you can have a cash flow. And, and the cash and the cash flow uh, can be better than you know could be similar to like a blue chip stock. Um, in a sense, I mean, real estate has its advantages and disadvantages in comparison with um, equity investments. Um, it is tangible. There's one thing, and um, it's uh, far more insurable than a stock portfolio is, obviously. Um, but I mean, the entry level is higher. You can't buy, you can't just buy a thousand or two thousand dollar investment property. And it's not nearly as liquid. So even in a best case scenario, you're looking at at least two, three months to liquidate a real estate holding. Um, yeah. So it's not a click of a button. And um, right. place, I mean, it's not a term deposit. Places do crash, rents do go down, um, economies go up and down. So um, it's not a hundred, it's probably considered to be a bit more safe and stable than the equity investments, but it's, a, it's got its own um, disadvantages. And Japan specifically is a unique environment just in the sense that it's very much a cash flow oriented market. Um, so values can go up here, especially uh, in good locations in big cities. But it's always a maybe considering the, um, you know, the two decades of deflation that they've had and the shrinking workforce, um, which can't really sustain GDP growth over a long period of time unless anything changes dramatically. Um, so it's a different environment to, um, I mean, I'd probably argue that the rest of the world is not as uh, clearly on the rise real estate wise as it used to be um, up until maybe a decade ago. But even in that uncertain environment, Japan's growth is even less certain compared with other places. So with all of that in mind, it's, it's a good market to enter for other reasons. Um, I mean, the tenants are hassle free, the professional companies that you work with are hassle free. Um, not all of them are obviously as professional as others, but at least there's no swindling or cheating going around. Um, and with the size of the apartments, usually it means that maintenance bills can be lower. I mean, there's no huge um, bedrooms and living rooms that you have to renovate. Um, and um, tenants are also, they tend to stay in place a lot longer than they would in other places. So... Singles, maybe an average of four to five years normally, families a lot longer than that. And we do have tenants that have been in place uh, 10, 20 and more years. Um, so it's a safe and stable market, but probably you're not going to see the leaps and bounds that you might see in other um, more growing and developing places, right? Right. Mm. Well, and so that, you know, I, that is the message you've been Yep. Uh, but, you know, going back to the question of 
us, uh, you know, we've traveled to Japan a bunch of times now in South Korea. We love it there. And uh, it's not foreigner friendly. It's not... Uh, They're working on that. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's the innovation visas and there's the, you know, the new, the new uh, uh, immigration laws that I think Abe just, I think this last spring it was going to sort of kick in and they were anticipating an influx of workers. And that's what, that got disrupted. I think they actually had a negative outflow of, of workers. Yep. So uh, that, you know, that, that's what we're looking at. You know, uh, we're not connected to the U.S. anymore. We've, uh, part of our journey, we detached from all unnecessary possessions. We were minimalist. Yep. And so we can now restructure our lives so we can go anywhere we want to go. And uh, we want to try living some other lifestyle, some other places, yep. some other economies. And, and Japan is at the top of the list. Asia is at the top of the list. Malaysia, we like South Korea. We want to explore Malaysia. But Japan, because of our family being there, would be a choice. Yes. Well, I don't know what, you have, what advice you have for that or what services you have for that. Um, well, let's maybe tackle that visa thing uh, first, because that would also dictate the sort of investments that you'd be looking at generally. Um, and uh, we can give you general advice, but I think our strength is probably in just connecting you to the right professionals and um, facilitating the connection so that they can help you more efficiently than we can. So we're not accountants, we're not immigration lawyers, but and we're not um, property or company setup lawyers, but we can definitely... Um, organize the team and work with them on your behalf. So, uh, again, bearing in mind that I'm not an immigration lawyer, the general uh, gist of things seems to be that you can get a business manager visa if you set up a business that deals directly with real estate um, management, portfolio management, uh, building maintenance, building management, that sort of thing. Um, it's not going to be strictly by the virtue of owning an investment. So if you own a large portfolio, even of 30 or 50 doors, um, but they're all individual units in different locations or even a few in the same building, that's not going to justify a um, real estate management company setup. So you do have to own um, multifamily structures, an actual building or two or three. Um, and whether it's one or two or three would depend on the income that they generate. So to qualify for a business visa, um, from memory, last time I checked with an immigration lawyer, you were supposed to net about uh, two and a half million yen per annum. So about $23,000. And then if you've got other dependents, um, then each of those dependents would, um, would double or triple the amount of income that you'd need to generate. So for you and Kim, you'd need about $5 million. Okay. And then the business has to maintain that steady level of income over time. So it's uh, all good and well to uh, apply for the visa claiming that you're going to be made, but then every year they're going to check that you're actually netting that. And normally when you purchase an investment property, you, want, you would want to be claiming the purchase costs and carrying them forward. For individuals, you can do that for three years. For companies, you can do that for five years. But you'd have to strike a balance, and that's where your accountant and your immigration lawyer would have to communicate with each other. You'd have to strike a balance that guarantees that the net income after you've claimed everything that you want to claim is uh, sufficient to maintain your visa. Okay. 
Right? So there's a bit of a balancing act there. On the one hand, you want to claim as much as possible tax-wise, but on the other hand, you want to be making enough net income so that you keep qualifying for the visa and moving forward. And of course, the other thing is that you have to make sure that the property that you're purchasing generates enough income for that purpose. So if you're, if you're purchasing, say, a four or six unit uh, multifamily building, it might be if we put all the deductions and claims aside, and let's say we're not doing any of that, it might be generating, say, 2500 bucks a month or $3,000 a month. Um, that might qualify you for the one visa, but probably not for both of them. So you'd probably want to look at having two of these buildings. Okay. And at the moment, um, buildings in good locations, especially around Tokyo, Osaka, Yokohama, Kobe, um, and the satellite cities around there, and Nagoya as well, they have taken a hit with Corona. So there are uh, deals that are more attractive than we've seen, say, in the past four or five years. But still, the entry level for a multifamily building um, is probably not going to be lower than 30 million or 35 million yen. Oh, okay. um, so if you're looking at a cash investment, and we can discuss potential financing um, a little bit later, but if you're looking at a cash investment, you're looking at something like $600,000 to buy two of those buildings that would potentially satisfy two visa requirements. So that, that's a bit of a different picture from the uh, properties that you have been looking at that we've been forwarding to you because these are all individual units under 100K, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's it. That, those are very helpful to see, you know, what the building is, you know, uh, what, an apartment, the size of the apartment. Um, looking at the Goya one and looking at the cash flow, looking yeah. the cash flow, like, all over, you know, the... The monthly fees and so forth. Right. So, there the fee structure would be different for buying a whole building, I would imagine, or would it just be per unit, roughly the same? The the fee structure, as in our fees, you mean? The monthly the monthly cost of of running a whole building. Well, both the purchase costs and the monthly costs tend to decrease um, percentage-wise as the uh, asset value and the income gets higher. So with us, for example, uh, we'd be charging 2%. The property managers usually charge 4 or 5%. Um, purchase costs for individual units tend to hover around somewhere. This is all assuming that you're using our services, not directly with the Realtor. So usually purchase costs would be hovering for individual units at somewhere between 17 to 18%. We like to estimate a worst case scenario of 20%. Yeah, so that. Yeah, but with buildings, um, it could drop down to potentially 15, 13, 10, or 11%. The, the bigger and more expensive the building is, the less it's going to cost percentage wise. Um, and the management costs, um, again, to a point, I mean, our fees are slightly lower um, for bigger properties. Property managers tend to charge about the same. It might be 1% lower on the management cost. Um, insurance is actually slightly higher if you own the entire structure because you need structural insurance as well, not just the interior. But insurance is usually a minute expense in Japan. Um, just trying to think. I guess it, it seems like a way to really uh, streamline the purchase cost. You know, if I buy, if I buy four separate units somewhere, uh, 
closing those closing costs, purchase costs for each one of those units versus buying a single a whole building, a four to six unit building. There's one time transaction cost. Seems like there has to be a savings there. Somewhere. The transaction cost is slightly lower, but it's mainly a case of um, the uh, purchase tax and the legal uh, registration tax being a factor of the um, official evaluation of the property price. And that does tend to be um, lower percentage-wise for bigger and more expensive properties. So we're looking at a difference of, um, for larger buildings, it's usually somewhere between 1% to 3%, whereas for individual units, it usually ends up being something like 4 or 5% for legal and registration costs. Like over here, when you're getting a commercial loan, you have to come up with 20% of the overall um, well, you're not going to get a straight-out um, investment loan unless you set up a company. That's the first thing that most of the lenders would require that you do if you're not residents. And the other thing is that your terms are going to be far less attractive than they are for native Japanese who are borrowing. So they would get up to 100% at a, a interest rate of somewhere between one5 to 25 Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's nice. And it? You'd be getting uh, you'd be getting something like sixty to seventy percent LTV, so you would have to put down thirty forty percent in cash, and the uh, interest rate would be somewhere between three to four percent. Still, no, not too bad. But the main thing is that they will limit you in location selection, and they will limit you in uh, what you're doing with the properties. So some of them, um, I mean, all of them would demand that you only use them for long-term leases. So no Airbnb, no short-term leases, nothing of that sort, no commercials. And um, some of them would actually necessitate um, that you use their designated property manager just to keep an eye on what you're doing with the property. And then it just does create a bit of a limit if you're not happy with that property manager's performance for some reason. We are then limited in who we can replace them with. We can only work with the ones that the bank or the lender designates. Oh, okay. Has your experience been with those bank-sponsored management companies? Um, we have frankly not had a single customer who actually went for those loans yet. Um, the terms are just not super attractive. We have had customers who borrowed um, on business credit lines, back in their country of residence, on business credit lines or uh, personal or business loans that are not related directly to property because most companies would not, well, most lenders uh, overseas would not let you borrow um, for property in another country. Um, but the ones that have ended up borrowing ended up borrowing from their countries of residence. And then from our perspective, it's a cash purchase. We can do whatever we want with that money. I haven't had anyone who's actually gone for the uh, local loans, not the ones for non-residents. We've got some expats living in Japan who qualify for the native Japanese loans. They have borrowed, um, but not the uh, non-residents. They just were not too happy with the terms. And also, I mean, if the, if the lender, before Corona, they were letting you borrow for properties in a few major cities, as long as it's close enough to the major train lines. But since COVID uh, entered the picture, they're only doing central Tokyo at the moment. And central Tokyo yields are poultry. I mean, they're not really attractive at all. So again, that's probably another reason why none of our customers have gone for it. We've put them in touch with the lenders, but they haven't gone for it yet. Money limitations, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, look, this has only been a, a thing for the last couple of years. I mean, prior to that, we didn't even have this option. So it could improve as we move forward. But at the moment, that's what they're doing. 
Well, the, the way you described, you know, buying the, the two multifamily units, for example, that example you laid out, it's sort of like a uh, residency by investment program in a way, but it's very much, you have to be, you have to be, I guess, more involved than what would happen. Well, you have to um, be running a business that's making money. Well, I mean, this, I would imagine it also does not make you immune to the point system as well. I would imagine that you still need to navigate the, the point system from the highly skilled? No, that's just for long-term residency. The business visa only looks at how much money you're actually making, that the business is uh, kosher, so to speak. It's actually a real business that's making real money um, in the field that you specified when you applied. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all they'll be looking at, but that visa has to be renewed once a year. So it's, it's very different to the uh, long-term residency you'd get with a point system. So there's no points involved, so long as you have invested in properties that are yielding X amount of dollars per person, basically. The right size properties. Lay kind of properties. <laughs> yes, because, I mean, you can't claim that you've got a real estate um, asset management company that's managing individual units. I mean, there's not much to manage there. Um if it's a building or commercial properties, for example, then yes, there is uh, more intensive management involved. And then it does make logical sense to the immigration department that you would need a visa to run that sort of company. But if you're looking at individual units, um, then they would be asking, well, why is why are they setting up a company? For what purpose? Um, another option could be um, to run a hospitality property. So you could uh, set up a company, apply for an inns and hotels license sort of thing, which is not a very difficult process, but managing these properties is a bit of a handful. So you've got check-ins, check-outs, you're constantly monitoring your occupancy rates. It's not as um, attractive for somebody who wants to be hands-off. It's going to be a hard sell to the banks at the moment for financing too. Well, it be just no, that, those wouldn't qualify for financing, no. Just just talking about the visa, yeah. So, also, uh, just, a, just a speculative kind of question. I, like, you're in Book World, and what I'm reading is it's kind of like an innovation hub or innovative city. Wannabe innovative city, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it looks like a beautiful place to live. It is. Um, that one it is. Yeah. is. Are there anybody combining, you know, innovation and real estate investment together to, to like qualify for innovation visa, you know, that, that sort of that program. So mm, no one that I'm familiar with, no. Housing, co-working spaces and that sort of thing. No, we've had some inquiries from people who are interested in that and we've helped them the best we can, put them in touch with immigration lawyers. I'm not aware that any of them have actually gone through with that. Um, I know some residents who are here on a long-term uh, visa, regardless, who have uh, entered that space. But then they wouldn't need a—they wouldn't be using that to get a visa. They're just active in that space. But again, that's—I um, mean, if you set up a property like that, you're going to be actively running a business, right? Which I thought you wanted to get away from. Well, yeah, we do. Clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> years ago already switched to a, a different you know e-commerce business model and kind of ahead of the, ahead of the curve on that. Well, that, that's another thing to potentially look into if you're into e-commerce, which is a bit more um, hands-off, or at least you can hire staff to do um, 
you know, a limited number of staff to do the actual um, hands-on work that needs to be done. And, um, I mean, logistics facilities are pretty hot in Japan at the moment, so that's something that you could probably qualify for a visa and combine with your real estate investment. Um, so that, But that's, again, it's running a business, maybe not as intensive as a hospitality property, but it is still running a business. You'd have to monitor staff at least. Not sure how many, but yeah. Well, this is helpful because, I mean, I guess I was thinking of it in, two, in terms of two different things, investing in property for cash flow, you know, and then also working on, on the visa problem. But uh, they're not, they, they don't have, they, they can be the same thing if, if there's a strategy around it. So I just, I wonder if we need to, like, who we need, I feel like we need to be talking to a visa well, I can definitely put you in touch with an immigration lawyer, but um, first off, maybe decide on your budget and whether you're going to be going for financing or not, because that will dictate whether you can buy the properties that would qualify or not. No, we wouldn't go for financing. Okay, so if you're okay with satisfying the visa requirements, which would mean buying at least two buildings, so you should probably factor in something like $600,000, um, with purchase costs maybe a little bit more than that. Um, if that's something that's feasible for you, then I'll put you in touch with an immigration lawyer and you can discuss the uh, business plan that would make you qualify for the visa. But if that's not a cash investment that you're going to be up for, then you need to think up um, maybe another business plan. Okay. Mm. That sounds great. Yeah, the numbers um, yes, so he will tell you what's the minimum amount that you need to be netting to qualify uh, first for the application and then for the renewals. And then once he gives you that, we can work with the accountant that we'll refer you to and then start floating potential properties and work with them to see how much you would be able to claim or how much you shouldn't claim to um, to reach that net income per, per year. Yes, so... Maybe first first stage, if you're okay with the budget, first stage would be to put you in touch with an immigration lawyer. And then once you get the basics from him, then we can take it up with actual property samples and see what the accountant says about them. That sounds great. Mm. You've been saying that the prices are soft, softening. Do you, how, if you had to speculate, how long will they be? Will they be get softer? And how long do you, you know, is anybody talking about that? Um, I would say as long as uh, COVID remains an issue, they'll probably remain soft, particularly now with Japan going through a kind of a third wave. Um, it's not a big deal uh, compared to the USA or some of the countries in Europe, but it is a big deal for Japan. Um, and as long as the Olympics um, are still a big question mark, I mean, they've sort of uh, declared that they're going to hold it uh, come rain or come shine by um, next August. But I very much doubt unless something severely. Ch and I've just read that they found a few uh, new strains of Corona in the, in the UK and in France. So we still don't know whether that vaccine will be a reality that will. I don't know if it's going to be a, a magic bullet kind of thing or not. Um, as long as those sort of um, headwinds exist, I would assume that Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya would definitely be feeling the pain still, um, which, I mean, is great for our customers. They're happy with it. They've been buying like crazy. But um, otherwise, 
As soon as that blows over, I would imagine that the trend that we've been seeing before that, which is Tokyo and Osaka going up to um, very close to their pre-bubble days, um, that would probably continue, especially in Tokyo, if the Olympics get reannounced. Um, so I would say we've definitely got at least a few months ahead of us um, with soft prices. Beyond that, it's very hard for me to say. But other places, I mean, now is a good time to hit Tokyo, Osaka um, and the surrounding cities. But other places in Japan have still got a, a lot of room to grow. So uh, Nagoya, Fukuoka, uh, some of the smaller prefectural capitals like uh, Kumamoto, um, I forgot the name of that city that's about 30 minutes north of Tokyo. That's also a prefectural capital. Sen. Uh, sorry, I forget. So those places still have a lot of room to grow. So regardless, I mean, even when uh, the COVID situation blows over, they'd be still good, good targets for investment. Um, but if you're looking to uh, nab deals in, in locations that would otherwise be less achievable, then now is the time to hit Tokyo, Osaka, and surround. Well, it also seems like if, you know, even three, you know, three, four, five, six more months, the people who bought Airbnb-type properties, hospitality properties, how, how long can they uh, hold up? I don't know if Airbnb is helping them, or they, I know some of them could actually buy stock. Uh, but those are old, those are not the properties that you were looking at. Those are old uh, traditional types uh, of houses, um, resorts in the countryside. I mean, the people who have bought small residential buildings and turned them in, into Airbnb have just converted them back to long-term residences. So they're not feeling, I mean, they've obviously, um, they're obviously suffering from reduced yields compared to what they had before, but they're not in the red. And the ones that are fire selling are old traditional homes, guest houses, share houses, those sort of things. And I think that's probably not what you were aiming for. Do you think Osaka World Expo will drive any price up in that the Osaka area? Um, it will if it stays on track, I would assume. But Osaka is already, pre-COVID, Osaka was heating up pretty bad. It was getting very similar to Tokyo. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yes they probably will continue to boost prices up. But, I mean, Tokyo and Osaka, where yields have been compressed now to, I mean, pre-COVID have been compressed to maybe 3 4% at best. Um, unless the um, economic growth that Japan was exhibiting since 2012, unless that trickles down to actual salaries and rents, um, I'm guessing there's only so much that that market can keep growing. Um, but this is, again, this is all pure speculation. I mean, Hong Kong's been doing it for years and they're not bubbling up yet, so. Right, right. Did you have anything, other questions that come to mind that you wanted to ask? Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, pleasure. Yes, yes. If you were starting out right now, where would you, where would you go in Japan if you're going to make your first Purchase. I'd hit Purchase. Tokyo and Tokyo and Osaka, or not necessarily Tokyo and Osaka, but definitely Yokohama and Kobe at the moment. Um, they're close enough to those cities to be uh, enjoying the same sort of growth when the big cities enjoy growth, um, but they're still uh, priced a little bit more comfortably, and now they're very comfortable. So at the moment we're seeing um, six, six and a half percent in Yokohama and Kobe, which we haven't seen for a long, long time. And even in Tokyo, five and a half, six percent in Osaka as well sometimes. So if you can, 
Um, if you can hit those places, now would be a very good time. And otherwise, when things heat up there again, I would say the same places we've been seeing for the last few years. So Nagoya, Fukuoka, Kumamoto, and prefectural capitals in uh, Shikoku, which is that little island uh, just south of Osaka. Um, uh, maybe Nagasaki, although they're suffering from population decline, so maybe not super attractive, but it's a good town uh, tourist-wise. Um, Sapporo, if you can handle the longer vacancies during the winter, which do tend to happen there. We've left the cold, we left the northeast, so we're one of the things we, we are we don't really want to have cold winters anymore. Ah, I'm just looking at it from an investment perspective. I wasn't even talking about where to live. Yeah, so for Sapporo, that's it's hard to uh, it's hard to rent. There's vacancies in the wintertime there. Um, if you get a vacancy in the wintertime, it can be a pretty long one because people are not going to move out, uh, move about in the snow. And obviously with snow comes higher uh, maintenance as well. So you've got big heating equipment that tends to break down, pipes freeze and burst. Um, so, I mean, prices haven't gone up there that much. So the, the yield on purchase is a lot higher than it is in other cities. Um, but as the uh, throughout the lifespan of the investment, it does tend to even out, and it's more of a hassle than in other cities. So, unless it's an exceptional deal, but if you look, if you're talking about a place where you'd actually want to live, Fukuoka, eh? nowhere else, <laughs> definitely. Fukuoka. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Why is that, Tommy? Um, it's just the perfect balance. I mean, it's right on the beach. We got, I think, uh, forty kilometers of beach um, to the east and west, and within the city itself, and it's. Um, it's busy enough to satisfy the um, business and nightlife aficionados, but it's also very family-oriented. So if you compare it to Tokyo and Osaka, there's um, parks and bicycle paths. And the, um, the mayor is really progressive. He's turned the city into a really white collar. He's sort of pushed all the heavy industries out of it and um, advertised it for uh, tourism for anyone in Southeast Asia. So it's not as familiar to Westerners, but... Um, uh, Chinese, Koreans, Taiwanese, Singapore, Hong Kong, everyone knows it very well. And that's been uh, bringing a lot of traffic into the city as well. And also, like I said, it's a wannabe startup hub, but at least their um, heart's in the right place. I mean, uh, Tokyo is still where most of the startups are happening. Um, but Fukuoka is slowly catching up. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lovely, it's a gorgeous place to live. All right. Thank you. Uh, we can communicate further with email for connections on. Uh, I've been, you know, looking for uh, immigration lawyers and found a couple different names, but I haven't contacted anybody yet. So yep. Maybe we found people that were good. Well, I'll put you in touch with uh, Shimizu-san. He's the guy who's been, uh, we've interviewed him here on the podcast once. He's helped a few of our customers, and now uh, he's a sponsor as well, so I have to refer to him first. But... Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, he's a really nice guy. He's very helpful. Um, with him and the accountant, there's a limit to how much information they'll be able to provide on your specific circumstances without actual uh, consultation fees. Yeah. So they can they can give you a rough idea, but at some point you might have to pay them for an hour or two of their time. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll put you in touch with him, but maybe before we actually connect you to him, just get your um, budget and financing versus cash purchase criteria um Straight first, and then we'll uh, we'll make sure that that qualifies for the visa. Sounds great. All right, pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure speaking with you as well. We really appreciate your taking the time. Anytime. Thank you. Bye bye.
Right. So there you have it. So yes, it is possible to get a business visa through property investment in Japan, but you do need to plan ahead, construct your portfolio, your company, and your tax and tax uh, declaration strategies well in advance. And the best place to start, as you probably guessed by now, is by speaking to Hiroshi Shimizu, our favorite immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener, who's already assisted many people in doing exactly that. So you can reach him on info at h-shimizu-office.com or just pick up the phone, give him a call. That's plus eight one for Japan. If you're calling from overseas or just a zero from within Japan, nine two seven three two double seven double five. So that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Do let us know if you did. Leave us a comment in the comment section or a rating or review on the iTunes store. That's even better if that's where you're tuning in from. We really would love to know what you think. And again, if you'd like to be featured on the podcast and let the whole world know about your business here in Japan or if you've got any sort of product, service, or project that's even remotely related to Japan that you want more people to know about, our sponsorship programs, again, are very flexible, very affordable. Just ask us about them and we'll give you the rundown. We hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku.